The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. If you could see what I once was If you could go with me Back to where I started from Then I know you How did Paul sustain himself? Through the horrors that he suffered. I want to do a little Bible study tonight on some, some of what Paul went through and what he verbalized and what he made known to us. We don't know everything. Man, we just know a fraction of what went on in Paul's life. But what we, we know what God wants us to know about him. We know Paul persecuted uh, the church. He called himself the chief of sinners. Paul said, I'm less than the least of all the Gentiles. Paul's personal opinion of himself was that he was the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst. And he told why. He said, because I persecuted the church of of God to death, causing some to blaspheme even. Uh, And he just about wouldn't forgive himself of it. But Jesus, when he he knocked him down on the road to Damascus, appeared to him said to him, I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name. Now, when God says, I've learned a little something. When God says you're going to suffer, that's a whole new degree. It's a whole new definition compared to what we say when we're going to suffer. Uh, uh, God's suffering that he brings into our lives, it's, it, it's tough. It's real tough. But he's there for you. And though he told Paul, I'm going to show you what great things you must suffer for my name, but you're going to represent me in kings. You're going to go all the way to Caesar. And all of the court and senators and everything are out, and they're going to hear you talk about me and going to give a testimony to those wicked leaders of the Roman Empire that Jesus saves. And they allowed, because he was a Roman citizen, he was allowed to give his testimony. And he was able, as you know, from reading the three different times he gave his testimony in the book of Acts, that he always talked about that Damascus Road experience and how Jesus appeared to him and how that he indeed was the Christ and he was the Savior. And uh, uh, now from what we know, nobody that listened to him in the, rep- in the reports that we have in the book of Acts actually got saved. And that, that, that kind of tells us in some ways we're, not, uh, we're a testimony against folks as well as we're a testimony for folks. I would that those people that heard the gospel on the beach this morning, that every one of them were Christian, but I'm not naive. Some of those folks, God wanted me to tell the gospel so that someday when they stood before him, they could not say nobody cared and never, nobody ever told me. It was a testimony indeed against them because they rejected the truth. And someday we'll have to stand before him. But Paul, Paul went through some stuff, and I just did a study on this. This has never done this before, and I wanted to share it a little bit. In Acts chapter 27, verse 22 to 25, really is the text verse where it came together. I mean, I will repeat that a little bit down the road in the message. Follow with me. Hang on. We're going to read some scripture because this is more of a Bible study. 
with a little application at the end. And in, in, in chapter 27, Acts verse 22, it says, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now, I will say normally a sailor doesn't want to lose the ship. To the owner of the ship, that was his whole world. To get to the place where you owned a ship was a big deal. And I'm sure the words by the time, and this is Paul, you know, been in the middle of this horrible storm already by the place, by the time he's talking here, I suppose the owner of the ship says, well, I'm shot anyways, we're all going to die. And praise the Lord, we're not going to. He says we're not going to. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. I hope you know God's looking out for you. I hope you as a born-again believer have enough belief to know that God is taking care of you. I've heard story after story of evangelists that traveled by car, years ago traveled by car, just mile after mile, how that they would be sleeping and wake up and be on the road. and couldn't. There was no, no explanation for it. They'd been out for a while. I can't tell you the story after story that they just felt that God himself had saved them over and over and over again. Dr. Heller has a tremendous story of when he lost control of the car and everything and, and how God saved him. The, the uh, Atos have a story. It's unbelievable how they went airborne. You're not supposed to fly in a car. I think that's a lesson. Uh, but um, was it a caddy? Well, see, that saved him. It was a Cadillac. God did. Save, he's in verse 24, saying, Fear not, Paul, this angel that stood by him. Uh, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with me. I preach a sermon around that. When you go through this life, make sure that you get everybody that sails with you. Your neighbors, people you work with, ask God for them. Call out for them. You don't think Paul asked that those people that he was sailing with were saved. Now, that was 200, I don't quite remember the exact number, but I'm going to say somewhere around 275 folks were with him in the ship. That's a whole lot of people. And he asked, now, I don't know if they all got saved or not, but their bodies were saved and their lives were saved. And that's what Paul was crying out for them, that God would have mercy on them. And God says, I've answered that. You're, all them that are with, not a hair on your head will be touched. Pretty amazing, really, in the situation they were in. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Folks, we need to be of good cheer. Christians should be some of the cheeriest, happiest, most joy-filled, genuinely group of people you're ever going to be around. I have people sometimes come to the church and visit and say, you laugh a lot at gospel. Amen, we should. We should mourn too, but we should laugh also and have joy. We got the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. There's no question Paul could have been depressed with the situations that he was in. He could have been bipolar, suicidal, but he was not because he believed God. And he believed that God was big enough to save him. God's big enough to take care of him. In fact, he was upbeat. He was settled. He was steady. He had a song on his tongue and a spring in his step. The question I look at tonight is why did Paul have such an upbeat spirit when he, had, when he went through indescribable suffering? And if I may say the word horror is a good word describing what he went through. 
Let me list a few of the trials of Paul. Number one, I think of when he went to Lystra. He was stoned, left for dead outside the city for Jesus' sake. The Bible says that he held the clothes of when Stephen was stoned in chapter 6-7 of Acts, and when Stephen was stoned, he held the clothes of Stephen while they stoned him. And isn't it interesting, God had old Paul stoned. Have you ever thought about stoning? You ever given any meditation? Meditate on a little bit. You know, a group of people gather around you. Now, in the, in the, in, in the area of Israel, there's a lot of flinty rock. Flint rock, you saw it out there. It's sharp. And they, they come to where they can use them almost to cut things. These rocks come to, and they're jagged-looking, hard, flint rock. One of our guides in the tour, in the, on the uh, historical and archaeological tour I took over there said, I want you to notice the stones everywhere you go, stones. He said stoning was the favorite method of execution over here for millennium because there were just stones everywhere. And the, the one that was the accuser had to cast the first stone. The one who uh, had seen it or the one who had testified against this person, they were to cast the first stone. And so, uh, but imagine you, you being the one brought in the middle of a bunch of angry people and they all pick stones up and you're sitting there looking, you got people behind you, people beside you, people, and all of a sudden they start throwing stones. You know, I would... I would say, who's the best? One, who's the best baseball player among you? You be the first. But they didn't. It wasn't that way. They'd throw them. Maybe they hit you in the back. They hit you in the side. They hit you in the hit you in the arm. Maybe they'd hit you in the head. They're not going to kill you till they really hit you. And ultimately, sometimes when a person would fall being stoned, they'd have to take a large stone over the top of them and crush their skull and kill them. But it was not an easy death. It was a death full of fear, a death full of anxiety as these people were stoning you. Well, God had Paul go through that. I believe he resurrected him. And and um, brought, and I think possibly during that time at Lystra is connected with, if you'll take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 23 to 33. Now, it's 10 verses, kind of a long passage, but I believe in my, and I've studied a lot and read a lot about this, and you, you can take it or leave it, but I believe that what he's describing here in the 11th chapter, St. Corinthians, is probably what happened during that period of time that he laid there, and they thought he was dead. Now, those people of the time, you got to understand, when they think somebody's dead, they know what dead is. They've been around, they're farmers, they've killed a lot of animals, they've seen people stoned, they know dead. It says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I the more. He's arguing because people are constantly attacking him. And I am, I am more in labors, more abundant stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often, oft. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Now, again, I can't take the time tonight. I've tried to sit and meditate on each one of these. I've never been whipped with a whip. 39 times. I mean, today, if you spank a kid and hit him over three times, they're going, oh, you're bordering on abuse. 39, 40 to save one. Come on, people. With a whip. With a whip. And those whips were uh, made or construed however they wanted to do it. Some say they had would have little pieces of glass in them. Some say they had little pieces of metal in them. Some say they had... A little round stones in them to bruise you. 
uh, when they beat you with them. I'm just telling you, how in the world do you survive five of those? Now, the first one, you have no scar tissue. But it breaks the skin and you get scar tissue. Now, scar tissue, the little bit I've got, is not as good a skin as your normal skin. And the scar tissue can be more tender than the regular skin. Am I close stock on all that? And it may even have more feeling than the regular skin and be a little bit more tender. Some of you people with scars know what I'm talking about. And here he is the first time getting whipped 39 stripes. You know, it's one thing to go through the first time anything because you don't know what's coming, right? But what about the second time? When they tie you up and take your shirt off and they tie you up there and now you've been through this already, you know how long 39 lashes are. You know what the process of healing of six, eight weeks, maybe three months of trying to heal to, you know, first of all, they're living a day of no antibiotics, living a day and not knowing about, really did not know about bacteria. And they probably had used that same whip on 30 people before you and, and hung it up. Let the flies clean it off. It's just amazing to me. You got to look at this like for what it is. It's just amazing to me that Paul, the apostle, was whipped in this degree and didn't get an infection and go systemic and kill him. It's a miracle. I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my namesake. When God says great things, Ooh. Well, that wasn't enough. Thrice was I beaten with rods. I watched a little YouTube. I had to turn it off. And if you want to watch a YouTube of somebody being beaten with rods, over as it's uh, Taiwan or Singapore, one of them places, if you do something wrong, they beat you with rods. Now, I had no idea what that was, so I thought I probably should watch it. Well, they strap you down, take your clothes off, and strap you down, and they beat you over the buttocks area, and I have never seen anything like that in my life. I could not watch over 10, at the 10th, the, the guy was going to get like, third, at the 10th time I had, I, I had turned, I, could, I wouldn't have slept, because the skin was already breaking, they were already re-beating what they already had beat before, and I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't watch the end of it, but I'm telling that guy had nothing left at the end of that. It was just raw muscle flesh, unbelievable. And I thought about this. I was beaten with rods. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Most people didn't make it past that. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Now, we don't know about all those. All we really know about is one of those times. But I'm a diver. I've been in the water at night. We used to sometimes, well, my brother and I would want to see what happened at night. What did the lobsters do at night? Well, I can tell you what the lobsters do at night. They all take off. We knew a place where there was 100 lobster. We knew over 100 lobster. And we thought, well, we'll go there. The season opened at midnight, 12.01 a.m. So we had the smart idea. We thought, okay, season opens at 12.01. We know where there's 100 lobster. We'd seen them the day before. And so we'll go there at 12.01, and we'll get a head start on the season, and we'll catch our first couple hundred or so before it even gets light. Well, we show up. You know, it's full moon. Show up. We put our mask on, snorkel over to this mangrove. There's nothing. There's not one. They're gone. What I didn't realize is that lobster leave at night, go up to 1,500 yards away, and before it gets daylight, they find their way back to the same spot they were and all huddle up together because they're family people. 
And so we we hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted about four in the morning and went home with eight lobsters. And we caught them. They were just wandering around, just happened to see them. Now I say all that because when once in a while also we'd go out diving and we'd say well, it was getting dark, sun was setting. We said, well, let's just stay till dark and we'll dive at night. We'll night dive. Bad idea. Uh, when you night dive, you can literally, it's, when I say pitch black, I mean pitch black. You cannot see your hand go out here or nothing. You see this beam of light that you have, and that's all you see is where that beam of light is. So you're thinking, you know, you're hoping that you don't whip that over and see that little slit of an eye go by with this 25-foot hammerhead shark. Because you are so vulnerable. Man, at night was spooky. That was spooky diving at night. I couldn't imagine floating in the ocean uh, a, day, a night and a day. The day would be better. The night, mama. I bet he did some praying that he had never done before. I bet he did some songs singing, glory to God, hallelujah, claiming the blood, everything at night, especially when you feel a bump. Boom, something hit me. Hey, something hit me. What hit you? Well, sharks oftentimes come up and bump you, smell you before they bite you. It's a slow process. He said, I've been in the deep a night and a day. And journeying is often perils of water. He just started generalizing. Perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of the heathen, perils of the city, perils of wilderness, perils of the sea, perils among false brethren, and weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, beside those things which are without. What? There's, there's more? That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, the internalizing of the responsibility that I've been given. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who's offended and I'm not, I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things concerning mine infirmities. The God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Eretus, uh, the king kept the city of Damascenes uh, with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And, and through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped by his hands. That was uh, after he got his sight back. Has anyone even heard of or known in this room, anybody that went through these kinds of sufferings, even half of these sufferings? I doubt it. Yet Paul made it through these. But he didn't just make it through these. He made it through upbeat. He made it through praising God. He made it through without being disappointed in what God dished out on his plate. Oh, my brother and sister, you don't know what God's going to dish out on your plate in this life. But one thing you don't want to do is make presuppositions. You don't want to have in your mind formulated the way God ought to treat you because that's a setup for bitterness. That's a setup for disappointment. That's a setup for depression. It's when you're disappointed with God. I've seen, man, I've met a lot of people mad at God. I've met a lot of people disappointed. If there was really a God, he would have never let this happen to me. And I thought, oh, you poor soul. You made God in your image after your likeness. And God's not after your image and after your likeness. And, and, and give your expectations to God. Let him take care of the thing, how it, how it rolls out. Just trusting, like Paul said, I believe in God. I believe it'll be as he said. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 
Listen, as I read a little bit more, I'm sorry for the lengthy passage, but when I finish this uh, application. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, It's not expedient for me doubtless to glory, but I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, and I believe this is after he was stoned. I think he's talking about himself, and most commentators I've ever read say they believe that to be true. Whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up into the third heaven knew such a man. Whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which are not lawful for a man to utter, in other words, he was told not to repeat it. Of such a one I will glory, yet not of myself. I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though... I would desire to glory. I should not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, he wrote almost half New Testament, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Not only all the things that we read about that he went through specifically, you know, night and a day and getting beaten and all that other stuff and being stoned. Paul suffered persecution. I mean, he was told that he was not a real apostle. Here he had every sign of, he said, a sign of the apostle I've given you. And yet, there were false teachers come in to the people that he had led to Christ and the churches he had established, and they would come in, and especially in the church in Galatia, and they would come in and change the gospel, and they would say, Paul, he's not really an apostle. He's illegitimate, and he's not the right one. But yet, he said in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, and it may depart from me. These He couldn't see. I believe Paul had a vision problem. I believe he had a speech impediment. I, he, he, maybe he li had a lisp because of being beaten so much. Maybe his lips were messed up. Maybe his looks were of the such that he was... Re you know, have you ever had somebody that you had a hard time looking at because they're hard to look at? He had all that. And look at what he answered in verse 9. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient. That's what Jesus said to him. For My grace is sufficient. Here's a comfort that I'm going to give you, Paul. I'm not going to take any of that away. I'm not going to lighten any of that load. I'm going to give you a messenger of Satan to buffet you lest you be exalted above measure. And I have to judge you for your pride because I've given you such great revelation and you've been up in the third heaven and you've seen things that are unutterable and you've been with me and you've walked with me and I've taught you personally. Paul, you can't take this as a human being. So I'm going to give you things that are going to humble you every day, every hour. That's how bad we are. You can't take it. You'll get puffed up. And God says, here's what you're going to get for comfort. My grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in, if I may add this, your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory, rather glory in my infirmities and the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, that may God give me that. May we have that attitude. 
And I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. What a spiritual giant this man was. I am become a fool in glorying. He's not going around, woe is me. He is glorying. He's having a spell. That God's power is being manifest in his life. I become a fool in glorying. You've compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for nothing I'm behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Paul started in Corinth. He wasn't even willing to stay there. It was so dangerous. Something he saw in Corinth was so dangerous that he didn't want to. You say, Paul wanted to give his life. No, Paul tried to save his life. Every try, Paul did not want to die for Jesus. He wanted to live for Jesus. He was not going around thinking, oh, they're going to kill me good. No, no, no. He was let down in the basket in, in Damascus and he escaped there. And in Corinth, he comes and he don't want to stay. He don't want to stay there. And, and, and we learn that in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 through 11, it says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in a night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Now, he had decided to hold his peace. Now, you say, Paul loves souls. He didn't want to see him go to heaven. Yes, he did, but he didn't want to die for it. Because he had held his peace. He had the gospel, but it was so dangerous in Corinth, he sensed that they were going to kill him if he told them about the gospel. He held his peace. God's, and Christ comes to him and says, no, 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 speak. And there's only, there, here's, the, here's the clincher of the whole message in verse 10. For I am with thee. How did Jesus get Paul to loosen up in Corinth? He said, I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. When Paul was doomed and that ship was supposed to go to Rome and the whole thing was doomed, let me tell you, when the sailors think it's over, it's over. He said in verse, as we read earlier, the Lord stood with me at night, the angel, and said, I am with you. Fear not, Paul. I may figure out what page I'm on here. You can thank God I have outline, or this would be three hours. No amens? There are two major ways God helps us sustain hope and encouragement in a crisis. Here's the application. Two major ways. First, when you're in a crisis... God will come to you, and he will strengthen you in the crisis. But you won't know that unless you get into the crisis. So when the crisis comes, though everything around you and your body and your flesh and says, oh, I don't want to look at it as a great opportunity because you're going to get to, you're going to, get to know God better. He's going to come. We see this over and over in the Bible, right? Daniel and the lion's den. The Hebrew boys with the fire. Paul saw it. In my life, I've seen it. God has come to strengthen me. 
time and time again, a moment of crisis in my life, God's come and been there for me. It's God's practice at a very low time in your life that he'll be there. For Isaac in Genesis 26, 24, the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, I am with thee and will bless thee. For Jacob in Genesis 28, 15, he said, I'm with thee and will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest. For Israel, according to Isaiah chapter 43 and uh, 2 and 3, he was with me. He says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, thou shalt not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Do you believe that? Jeremiah, he told Jeremiah in the trouble that he had, he said, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee. Moses in the burning bush, remember Moses, he learned everything of the Egyptians and he was a big shot. And he got driven out into the wilderness, ran out in the wilderness after he thought God was going to use him to deliver Israel. For 40 years there was silence. He marries the girl, starts him a family. He is going from a big shot to a shepherd. You ever smell sheep when they get wet? What God say in Exodus 3.12, certainly I'll be with thee. To Joshua, and when Joshua was getting ready to take the promised land, Joshua 1.5, he says, Thou shalt not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I don't think there'll be a soul in heaven that'll be able to point an accusing finger at Jesus and say, you forsook me, you failed me. God will not fail you, and he will not forsake you. Believe. Gideon, I think of Gideon, and is Nick here tonight? Nick Carbon here? I hope he don't catch fish next time he goes out. Don't say I said that. But, uh, of course, that'll be the first thing that happens when he leaves. But anyway... Old Nick, we always talk about Gideon, the runt man from a runt family, a runt tribe, and a runt nation. Surely, he says in Judges 6.16, I'll be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. I tell you, Gideon, he had trouble with that. Last words of Jesus, that he would never leave us nor forsake us when he went back to heaven in Matthew chapter 28. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even under the end of the world. Folks, tonight, do you believe it? Do you believe it? You know, God doesn't take our word for stuff. Says, I believe you, Lord. He'll say, well, we'll see. We'll see. A tragedy going to come down your way. You're going to have a hard thing happen. Something's going to happen. And we'll see whether you love me or not. We'll see whether you believe me. That's when you want to hunker down on God when things go bad. Hunker down on God. You get news, you got bad, something going on, hunker down. Say, God, I love you. I trust you. I believe you. Sue, memorize some scripture, quote it back to him. So the first thing when, when trouble happens, God, what God does is he comes to you. God will come to you. Some of the old, weathered, war-scarred, weathered saints have told me through the years when God came to them is when trouble came to them. When they lost a child in childbirth or they had a husband die earlier, they had something go on. When troubles happened to them, that's when they walked with God and saw his hands. In fact, 
a lot of these old boys will call the hardest times in their life the good old days. My dad used to refer back to the Depression as the good old days. I said, Dad, what in the world would you ever do that for? He said, there's something about it. He used to get home. In fact, he'd, he'd miss it. Now, let me try to explain it. He'd take two pieces of white bread and put them in the bottom of a bowl. He'd take white sugar and he'd cover the bread with white sugar. And then he'd take milk and not this see-through milk. This milk was delivered by the Amish and was not pasteurized or homogenized. It was the real deal. It had been in the cow that morning. And if you let it set, the cream went to the top, and boy, we had some rows at the house about that. Because you wanted to be the first one to get it, as any good Christian would, and put it in your cereal. And when you did that, boy, sometimes you had to give the cereal bowl to them, and it was terrible. My dad would take that milk from the old Amish, and he'd pour that over. You got two pieces of white bread in a bowl, cover it with sugar, white sugar, and he'd take that milk and he'd put it over there. And he taught me to eat that. And it became one of my favorite meals. And I'd say, Dad, where'd you ever get this kind of meal? He says, that's depression food, son. Some of you old boys still alive. That's depression food, son. He'd take, now not everybody ate the same depression food. My dad in the depression had it very hard. Not all everybody did. My mother went through a depression. They lived on the farm. They were poor, but they ate well. My dad lived in the city. He was poor and in fact didn't eat quite a few different meals. They had two different experiences in the same depression. Only 25%, he said, he used to say only 25% of the people were without, without employment. But he said to me, it seemed like everybody was without employment. But he called them the good old days. I said, Dad, how's it? Because God has something sweet through suffering. There's something sweet that God brings in your life through suffering. Something you can't get any other way. Secondly, Paul, how did he, he sustain himself through the horrors that came upon him? Paul had an other world vision. He had the other world vision. Pilgrim's Progress. Most of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, shame on you. Get you a copy of Pilgrim's Progress in the original version not the version that they take all the language and change it, the hard-to-read version. Get the hard-to-read version. Be a man. But I'm a woman. Be a woman. And read it. Read it. I'll guarantee you, you will cry through that book. You will laugh through that book. You'll find yourself crying, and in a few minutes, you'll find yourself laughing. It's crazy. And when you read how he wrote it, you'll find it was written in some of the lowest time of his life. So look at what God did through the 12 years in a stinking old prison with no hope of getting out as far as he knew. But he had an other world look. And Pilgrim, the, the main character in, in Pilgrim's Progress, he always was looking for what? The celestial city. He always looked on the horizon for that, the light 
of the celestial city, you and me, born-again believer, are only going to make it in this old world if we keep our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, looking away unto Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Looking away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking up, keep your, on Colossians chapter 3, your eyes up on the things of heaven. The political world that we have right now is the craziest thing. The, the tax of the Muslims, what to do with migrants, what to do with this, what to do with that. There's always been trouble. There's always been problems. There's always been unsolvable things. There's been war and rumor of war, and there always will be rumor of war and wars and all kinds of, of financial collapses and rebuilding and collapses and rebuilding. It's gone on since the beginning of time. There's going to be diseases and deaths and storms and hurricanes and troubles will happen. And guess what? Eventually you will die. <laughs> Happy ending. But as a born-again believer, that's just the beginning. That is just the beginning. It's just the open door. But I consider, and God says, this is a time of testing for you and for me, a womb experience, a time of growth that only can be learned now. Get every squeeze, every drop of what God has for you now because I'll guarantee you a hundred years from now you'll be glad you did. Read your Bibles now while you can read. You realize you can get old enough where you can't read? Some of you young people look at me with a deer in the headlights, I tell you. You get old where you can't read anymore. You can't read, and you can read, but you can't concentrate. You read the words, you can't figure out what they say. I'm not there yet. I'm just guessing. I remember what my dad said about it. My dad was a big reader. He got where he couldn't read anymore. He said, son, read while you can because you get where you just can't concentrate like you used to. I said, ooh, thanks for tipping me off on that. Lift up your eyes. Your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus in John 18 says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then will my servants fight. I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. How did Paul suffer the horrors that he had in his life, which nobody I ever knew or ever read about had horrors like he had? He was an example put forth by God of the, of the demonstration of the grace of God in his life. Uh, first of all, he, uh, God will be with you. He will not lie. He will be with you through the tough times. And keep your eyes up on the things which are above. Have an other world vision. Don't put your, don't put your whole energy and world in this place. Well, let me try to define that for you. The Bible says that the devil is the god of this world. He is the prince and the power of the air. That's electronics for sure. Has to be. Uh, and 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 this place is not getting better. We may have a little respite. You may have a little respite of a few years, but it's ultimately not going to get better. This the old songs that have been written. This is the worst world. Is not my home. I'm just a passing through. 
My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Angels beckon me, oh, heaven's golden shore. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. That's because this world's not my home. Keep an other world vision. You won't fall into depression. You won't fall into despondency. You won't become suicidal. You won't, you won't be down in the mouth. No, I'm not saying for a day you're not that way. And I'm not saying for a, a short, very short time. But it won't be long before the Holy Spirit convicts you of that and, and turns you around. I went over the dock when I was suffering the worst of my gout and having some sort of an adrenaline problem. I went in Doc's office, just cried. I just sat there and a grown man crying in front of him, didn't even know me. I just needed somebody I could talk to. But God came. He delivered. And here I am. I'm back. I'm back. But let me tell you, those times, those times at night, of those hard times at night, God came. God came. Wouldn't want to do it again. I don't think, say, Paul, would you like to get whipped again? No, I don't want to get whipped again. I think when they drug him to get whipped, it was against his will. He wasn't saying, oh boy, I get to get 39 lashes again. Nobody, you're crazy if you ask for that. But when you get it, take it from God and say, God, teach me what I got to learn through this trouble. What I got to learn through this suffering, let me get it. Let me be otherworld-minded. Let me believe with all my heart that you're going to be with me. And he'll be with you. He'll manifest himself to you. Father, help us tonight to get it. Help us and to get what Paul had, the ability to overcome in every area. You can define the word overcome. Help us overcome in our physical, overcome in our mental, overcome in our spiritual and social in every way. Father, help us be overcomers. May Jesus, you be real with us. May this not be just some religion, some weekend thing we do. May this be every day, all day, all night, that we walk with you and talk with you. May you establish yourself with us. It's a privilege to know you. And there may be one in this room that does not know you. May you allow, your, allow that person to see you. May you allow that person to know you. Father, I pray that you'd help us. We have a lot in this room manifested a lot of folks going to go through what's common to man. Help us to trust you and lift up our eyes for our redemption draweth nigh. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand again.